This is private, made public. These are the stories of people telling stories with no money. You guys, what the fuck is happening with you out there? Are you okay? You keeping it together? Not letting your wires get crossed? Making sure your shoelaces are tied? I don't know. I'm starting to worry about you. I got way too many emails from you guys this weekend. Record number. I usually get around 7 to 30 would be like a really high number of emails for a week from the listeners. And this last weekend, I got 55 emails. The general tone of the emails was on the surface, on the surface, very normal, nothing to see here, regular day in the park or the office or the home office, what have you, where have you. Um, but what tipped me off was the, 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 the greeting and the farewell. They were long and overextended, like, dearest podcaster of my own heart that I have been intending to write for years. That's a real example. I actually got that one. I just want to let them know we haven't been doing the podcast for years, only one year. And then the strangest farewell that I got was, please give yourself a big hug and extra tickles from me and my kids. Love, anonymous listener of Private Made Public. So, I just... Yeah, I can tell there's something going on. And while I appear to be someone who has all sorts of abilities and knowledge about most things, the truth is that um, I'm not best at dealing with high stress and incredibly frustrating situations. Um, my main go-to coping mechanism is drinking four cups of coffee followed by a cold caffeinated beverage, eating an entire tube of Pringles, and then staring at a computer screen while my heart races. So I'm just going to get... Sorry. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and refer you guys to my sister who or any other licensed uh, social care, health, mental worker, who can be a real ally to you in these trying times. So if you are one of those listeners who sent me a coded cry for help in an email this weekend, go ahead and check out the show notes. I put a lot of resources in there, meditation links, mental health health apps, mental health apps, and a lot of things that I think could potentially help you that are outside of my realm of expertise. I also got a few emails this weekend telling me to keep the intro short. That I can do. I understand it entirely. I appreciate the feedback and I welcome more show-related feedback from the listeners. This is the platform for podcast-related feedback. Send it my way. So with that said, there's one email that I wanted to share with the rest of you because it, I think, encapsulates our current moment in a really beautiful and hilarious way. It, uh, it comes from the listener Minty Base iOS. Minty, yeah. Which, it kind of sounds like a bot. I'm not convinced that it isn't. Still, we're going to read it. Um, so, Minty Base Wa says, um, Dear Brianne Saxophone, comma, First of all, comma, thanks for the work you do with the show, period. You choose such interesting topics to discuss, and I love your free-form interview style, dash. I never know where a conversation will end up, colon. Wait. No, she, they wrote, I never know where a conversation will end up. No. 
<laughs> Holy shit. This is so confusing. I never know where a conversation will end. Colon. Up or down? Question mark. <laughs> it's very creative writing style. Um, here's the thing I need your help with, period. I'd like to prank my friends with a scary song, comma, and I thought you might know one or two. No, period. Could you send me your scariest songs, question mark? Keep up the good work, comma, and I'll try to keep my, I'll keep trying to get my friends to listen to your show, period. Sincerely, Minty Bass iOS. Ah, actually, I think my name is Minty Bassoir. Okay, still could be a bot. Either way, um, <laughs> I love this email because, first of all, I'm a huge fan of pranks. I think scaring people, inciting small fits of rage, is an ex it's, it's a hugely ignored feature of friendship. Um, so that's the main point. Um, but I also have never considered a song to have the potential to induce fear in someone. I think that's rarely used in sound, except for some of the greats. I would say scary music is some of the most underrated music, just like comedy is one of the most underrated forms of art. Um, so Mindy Bassois, whether you're a bot or not, I like your perspective, and I appreciate the challenge. Um, there's one song that came to mind for me, which a lot of people find creepy, and I have the opposite opinion of it. Well, okay, that's not entirely true. It's, it's definitely creepy. Um, and that's Tiny Tim's Tiptoe Through the Tulips. So, in fact, there are creepier songs, like actually deathly terrifying, um, Mindy Bassois, but I don't want to traumatize anybody. And in my search for some really scary songs, I had some bad times. So I'm just going to recommend a, a fun scare. It's kind of like Tiny Tim's Tiptoe Through the Tulips. In fact, all of Tiny Tim's music is incredible. Everyone should listen to Tiny Tim. If you've never heard Tiny Tim, please stop the podcast now. Google his work. And it's perfect for springtime. I recommend you go outside, listen to Tiny Tim, and thank me for the incredible mood elixir um yeah let's uh, let's keep the intro short let's do the fucking show um today we have a very unorganized conversation with ben glass who is a musician and artist and he is my friend and we had fun together and now I'm doing this voice to prepare you for all of the silliness that's about to ensue. I must warn you, there is a lot of nonsense and the conversation does not follow a linear thread. We do talk about American history and yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sick of your shitty life getting shittier because you can't focus on one fucking thing at a time? Are you constantly distracted by food, fake hobbies, and grinder? Here at Earbuds, we've developed a novel technology to make you suck a little bit less. Earbuds are like their headphone cousins, but better. Earbuds high gamma microphone listens to the evil distraction bunnies in your brain and sends out whamma rays to lull them to sleep, letting you get to work. Visit www.earbuds.bud and enter offer code SEXKITTEN for 15% off your first order. Terms do not apply. Okay, um, I have a surprise for you, but I, before I give it to you, I want to know if you have any surprises for me, just randomly. If you brought anything with you, or like anything at all, any kind of surprise. Jesus. I'm gonna make sure I We're have it. Put on the spot. Yeah, yeah, you are put on the spot. Okay. Oh fuck, I lost it. Uh oh. No, no, I have it. I have it. I found it. Yeah, like a coyote. I do not have anything with me. Not today. I'm so sorry. As you know, this is a test I put all of my guests through, and Ben failed. Okay, close your eyes. Okay, my eyes are closed. Ben's closed his eyes now. Mm -hmm. And he's 
wearing all black. Where? His pants. Yeah, he looks very Berlin today. Okay, put your hand out. Now I've placed a thing in his hand. Okay. You can open your eyes. Okay, yeah, look at it and tell me <gasps> what it is. Oh, it's a little, it's a little bib. It's, it's, a, a, it's a little piggy. It's a little piggy. Oh, it's super cute. <laughs> oh, it's a little, it's, it's a, it's a female pig. It's, it's right. small rubber about the size of my thumbnail. Hmm. Little pink, tan, smiling, floppy eared. Flexible? Yeah. Yeah, slightly flexible. Pig. Okay, that's just for you. You can just keep it. Okay. Yeah. I have it. I'm keeping it. I'm in the process of keeping it right now. I was I was waiting for you to say... Something specific? Mm, I mean, I did plan out everything that you were going to say, and you're not saying it. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, okay, do you know what we're going to talk about? No, I have no idea. No idea? There's a score that I have not read. I have not done my homework. Well, that's okay. I wrote all your parts in for you. Okay. After that, I told Ben what we'd talk about, and then we started talking about it. 1600s, right? <gasps> Colony Colonizers are coming to the States. I'm going over it. <laughs> all right, so they're coming over to the States to colonize. <laughs> and you know why they're coming is because... They were facing a lot of religious prosecution. <laughs> oh, sorry, the pig just fell off of the pig just fell off of Ben's glasses again. Do I need to put it back? I think you should, yeah. Okay. So they're coming over because they're facing religious prosecution. It's actually it's actually persecution. Get it right. Catholics and Protestants alike are being chased down in the streets, killed, murdered, incarcerated, all sorts of garbage. Yeah, lucky. And basically, it doesn't matter if you're a Protestant or a Catholic. It's just if you're not in the majority group, then you're out, you know? Dead. You're dead. Yeah. Dead. Okay. So the founding of the colonies is based off of this presumption of wanting to pursue religious freedom, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Note to self. Next time I talk about people escaping religious persecution, don't use the phrase yada, yada, yada. Um, and in these early times, there's... Uh, the only way that you can put on any performance of any kind is by applying for a permit. Okay. So that's like the the stage of the first scenario within which you can make theater. Okay. Only by applying for a permit. And in this, like, in the first hundred years, like 1640 to 1750, whatever, there's um, a lot of people who are taken to court for putting on plays Mm -hmm. without a permit. Um... So there's a lot of resistance in mm-hmm. the first place to, to making any kind of performance art. Um, yeah, and some people who were very successful or very motivated, ambitious at the time, were Lewis and William Hallam, the Hallam brothers. Okay. You know them, of course. I've, I've never heard of them. It's okay, I hadn't either. <laughs> um, so... These brothers, they founded a company and were touring around the early colonies. And this is like 1752, so mm. they're touring Shakespearean rep. Classic. Which, no, but this is the thing, because at the time, it was contemporary work. Mm-hmm. So just, like, imagine mm. being in the early colonies in 1752, mm. a part of a theater group, a troupe, yeah. who's touring... English contemporary work, mm-hmm. which is Shakespeare. I so avant-garde. I just wonder what that would be like. Like you're in a horse and buggy with all of your <gasps> costumes, like frilly things and long journeys from it's... state to state, and then you play in like barns and <gasps> there's like maybe ten people there, and you had to get a permit, and you don't really make a lot of money. Like that sounds like my career. Yeah, it's very familiar, (laughs) right? I love to think about, like, when Shakespeare was contemporary. Yeah. And, like, 200 years ago, when are we going to get, like, a new classic? Or when will, like, how long will it take for the works that are happening now to become classics? 
I'm afraid that like we're just always gonna hold on to the classics of right. two hundred or one hundred years, but whatever. Right. You know. How how um. That's a, that's a really interesting question. That's a big old question. I think how how we how art making and who can make art and that question I think postmodernity has ripped that wide open mm-hmm. by saying anything can mean anything and nothing can mean anything and something can mean anything and anything can mean nothing and nothing can mean nothing and something can mean something and I'm going back to bed. It's I that's that's really interesting because I think of like 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 the canons of music for example. Mm-hmm. And looking at like people like yeah. Harry Parch. Okay, Harry Parch. Have you, have you ever heard of Harry Parch? No, but I know the Hallam brothers, oh. so. I mean, let's trade. Okay. We can trade, yeah. Here we are. Yeah. Um, Parch was a, he was a genius. Okay. And at the time, he was very odd. Um, he was, I guess he was labeled as, as like one of the outsider artists. Wait, what kind of art was he making? He was making music. But he was making music in a way that people weren't making music at the time, and which was unacceptable to certain standards. Absolutely. And so what he would do is he would take um, diatonic Western, um, you know, uh, the, the expectations of music. Okay, just break down diatonic for the few people who don't know what that means. Oh, gosh. Um, Western scales. Okay. Yeah, you know, we're talking about the octave. We're talking about yeah. certain divisions. Very, very deterministic divisions, right. which actually mathematically don't fit all the way hmm. so and he saw that and he mm. like, okay so he this guy would legitimately make keyboards mm. and he would divide the octave into sense because we have sense between keys mm-hmm. and that's how we determine pitch mm-hmm. he would divide them in very odd numbers like, mm. like if i remember correctly he made like a 46 cent octave which sounds really unnatural to us i'm probably mm. butchering that by the way because oh, it's okay like a musician. that's fine when you listen to his music, it like doesn't make sense if you if your if your foundation is Western music. Right, that's what I was just gonna say. I'm sure if you have an Eastern music tradition, maybe mm. there's more similarities potentially. Microtonal, perhaps, yeah. is something that we could. Microtonal is is, is taking those divisions that, that Western music kind of mm-hmm. chews away and really using or them. pushes down onto you yeah. as what is good music and what is good sound. Yeah. I mean, pushes it down, but then also it gets supported from underneath. If right. you if you grow up with this octave and this scale and this understanding of what sounds good, how do you determine between, or how do you distinguish between that this just feels good to me or this is what was given to me is what sounds good? Well, that's, I, I think that's a really big, that's an even bigger question because yeah. I, I don't know all the things that have influenced me to be yeah. who I am sitting here right now. I know. Yeah. Well, let's Wait, not let's let's stay let's stay, let's stay grounded. Let's stay okay. in this. Let's stay in the story. Sure. Yeah. So boring, boring, boring. Some plays are written. The Revolutionary War is yeah, happening. That thing. Yeah. Seventeen seventy-six. Uh-huh. What's that year? What's that year? Seventeen seventy-six. What happened the in seventeen seventy-six? We, we gained our independence. I'll tell you what, brother. Only two years into the existence of America as an actual country, (laughs) as an actual nation, a law is passed which explicitly bans theater. Overall, it it is illegal to practice theater. The law goes like this. We will, in our several stations, promote economy, frugality, and industry, and promote agriculture, arts, and the manufacturers of this country, especially that of wool. And we will discountenance and discourage every species of extravagance and mm. dissipation, mm. especially all horse racing, all kinds of gaming, cockfighting, exhibitions of shows, plays, and other expensive diversions and entertainments. Mm. Okay. I mean, this is a very curious law, I think, for several reasons. First of all, that there was, like, a huge desire to specifically promote wool production. Right. This was really important at the time, I guess. Well, it, they wanted to become a, a, a power. And right. Economic security was right. the way to go about it. Yeah, so basically you can't produce theater okay. at this time. Because it would... It's illegal. Right. You go to jail. But why is it illegal? I mean, because it's images of, of sinful acts, because... So so here we go. Here we go. Um, 
the main proponents of this change in the law was a group of ministers. Ugh. Like 12 dudes. Ugh. Most of them don't have very interesting names. One of them is named Ezra Styles Eli. Hot. It's a really good name. Um, so they produced and disseminated a lengthy sermon with four points of contention with the theater. So let's break it down. Let's see what they said. Number one, the theater owes its origin to the revelry which accompanied the celebration of the feast of Bacchus, the mm -hmm. god of wine, in the licentious ages of heathen idolatry. Mm -hmm. Okay. So excess, yeah. pleasure, right. heathen, hedonism. Anti-Christian. Anti-Apollo, too, because logic. That's the thing. Tell me what you mean. Well, Bacchus, Bacchus, if I'm correct, Bacchus was... I always get this mixed up. I'm very dyslexic. So, Bacchus was Roman, mm -hmm. but in Greek he was Dionysian. And mm -hmm. there's oftentimes right. in ancient um, philosophy, there's talk um, of the, the, the rift between Dionysian energy and Apollonian logic. Logical, yeah, right, right. right. Like the head from the body. Exactly. Precisely, yeah. yeah. And so there's there's oftentimes, like, when we talk about the difference in a very superficial way, the difference between, like, Eastern and Western mm. um, lifestyles, practices, mm -hmm. we talk as, as if we assume that, that the West was very Apollo-oriented and that sure. the rest of the world, those savages, right. were more Dionysian. Right. Right. Hmm. It leads to some, some serious stereotyping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yikes. Yeah, but I mean, it also is like the, the dominant um, imposed culture as well. Like, not necessarily that Western culture is more Apollinian, mm -hmm. but there is potentially a greater pressure from the Christian church, for example, mm -hmm. to remove the body from a, a place of power. Right. Yeah, if you, if you, I mean, this is later, later on in, in the 20th century, a lot of psychology went into figuring out how to manipulate people, mm -hmm. and if you could, if you could get inside their head, it wasn't, you're not getting inside their body, you're getting inside their head, are we getting there? Well, there is also fascinating research that was done in the 50s. Mm that does that people were doing deep brain stimulus so brain mm. surgery and and um, a, an outgrowth of lobotomies mm. where people were placing electrodes deep inside of the brain mm -hmm. and this research actually uncovered the physical connections between for example our motor pathways like when children don't receive enough movement mm -hmm. in early development it causes catastrophic emotional problems right and so you can then go into your motor cortex in someone who's experiencing schizophrenia, mm -hmm. and that can have an incredibly impactful change in their emotional life by con by connecting something else. So there, so there are these physical connections to our emotional, intellectual world. Sure. And actually, yeah, the the difference between them I I find very artificial. Gotcha. Yeah. So mind mind and body are, are one thing. I mean, but what if what if you teach a whole culture that that's not true? Right, right. Well, and that is what has been done. That's exactly what's been done. That's exactly what's been done. both know how hard it is to get out of bed some days. I mean, what's the point, right? Well, when I'm having one of those days, there's only one thing that can truly motivate my sad, sorry backside out of the rumple bin. Coffee. Coffee, 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 coffee. Wow, I feel like a million. A million what's, Roger? Wow! A million wows? Wow! For private public listeners, coffee is available at every food shop and some convenience stores. Right? 
now. Millions of coffee farmers around the world are working tirelessly to produce and deliver this delicacy to your thirsty little mouth. Don't delay. Support the podcast. Support yourself. Drink coffee every day. Number two doesn't really hold much water. It just says the theater under its present constitution in our own country is in its nature criminal. Just like it's just yeah. And then they go on to like specifically chastise the, the actor. The very profession of a play actor is a criminal one. By habitually acting in a fictitious character, truth and integrity are banished the profession, and insecurity is reduced to a system. Hmm. By rendering mimicry a trade and the amusement of men perishing in sin the principal purpose of life, the play actor is guilty of a prostitution of the talents God has for his own glory conferred on his creatures. Crazy. Yeah, Mm. I think this, like, uh, condemnation of... Oh, jeez, keep it together. The condemnation of um, play is what's going on here. Yeah. That um, it's there's no place to imagine and to have fantasy. And, and the very act of imagining something beyond what is in front of you is is not part of the talents that God has conferred for his own creatures. What a limited view of what people are capable of. Yeah. It's very reductive. There are, there are so, so many um, systems of control reduce the people under its control to, to, to having no ability to decide for themselves what is, what is good. It just completely re- takes away their right. autonomy and their, and their yeah, ability to decide what is, what is real and good, and et cetera, et cetera. It's fearful. When I, mm-hmm. when I impose controlling restrictions upon me, before we came in here, we were talking about expectations of how other people should act in, like, quote-unquote common sense, which is kind of a, an oxymoron, because it's not... Right. Common. Right. It, <laughs> everyone has their own logic, and, yeah. and you can pitch two logic logics against each other, but if they're not, it, it might just not fit, you know? And that's yeah. maybe that's that's a good right. thing, because then, you know, you, like, meet people who you get along with, and you meet people who you don't get along with, and all that shit. And right. You, so you don't have to marry everyone in the world to find right. the one or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I think that when, when I exert control or when people have exerted control on me, it's a fear of some unimaginable outcome. Right, exactly. It's the not trusting of the body. Right. That's right. Good. Did I get an A? Uh, you got an A. Sick, dude. Okay. Um, tangent time. <laughs> What's your spiritual biography? That is a good question. That caught me off guard. I peed a little. <laughs> I also really have to pee. <laughs> well, we can take a break. You want to take a break? No. Uh, okay, so uh, talking about like like cultivation. My I grew up in a Methodist family. Hmm. My father was me- Methodist. His father was a pastor. My mother was uh, very very spiritual she was she was a reiki master she had some very awesome open ideas it was very accepting of the god was just a word and the concepts behind that were were you know the sky's the limit and even beyond um when i was a kid my imaginary friend was a like seven foot tall angel holy shit mikey Mikey, because he's Michael the Archangel, Yo. but he was just your friend, so he was just Mikey <laughs> was, to me. Or he's my Mikey. He wasn't. It wasn't the Archangel. It was he had. Oh. It was based on John Travolta in Mikey. I haven't seen that. Oh gosh, it's it's great. I, I actually I'm a really big fan of that, but I'm obviously really biased because he was your fucking imaginary. He, yeah, dude. He was sick and he smelled like grapes. And what? This was a thing. So That's my, you want to know who my imaginary friend was? Yeah, I do. A small. Smaller than me. I mean, I was small. Smaller than me, girl, with short, blonde haircut, who was really mean, and her name was Bitter. Huh. And I just, we just, she just talked shit. She just, just she, shit. she just was, like, mad all the time. Jeez. I know. You ever womp on her? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think she womped on me. She was a real bitch. Yeah. I don't know. People good, don't good like contrast, that. contrast, because look at you now. Well, I'm a real bitch. <laughs> You're totally not a bitch. I'm not saying that. No, I know. Okay. Don't talk about my friend like that, okay? (laughs) 
Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So, Mikey um, smells like grapes. Mikey smells like grapes. And I, like, kept Mikey with me for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And my my spiritual path has been been contrasted and pushed and highlight, highlighted, 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 you know, whatever, by uh, a lot of drug use. Mm-hmm. And I essentially... Going back to birth, I was I was born with a frown on my face. I was like unhappy, and I like wasn't ready to come out or something. I mean, you put your own spin on it, karma, whatever. I was just discontented, hmm. and I was a very um, petulant kid. Hmm. I was a screamer. I was hmm. very unhappy. I I was very very neurotic when I was young, hmm. and I turned when I encountered drugs and alcohol. I turned drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. and I used throughout my teenage years, uh, and then I got sober when I was 19, and... Which is so rare. It's actually, it's not that rare. Really? It it just, I think most depictions of recovery, inside and outside of, like, organizations, typically happen later in life. I mean, I know, you're the only person that I know who's... Interesting. ...been sober since such a young age. Oh, okay. Well, I I know know quite a few, but I guess it's because I'm around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and that's, that's when I was reintroduced to spirituality. Hmm. Um, and how did that look? That, that's a good question because I expected it to look a very certain way hmm. and it caused me a lot of suffering because hmm. I expected, you know, like to, the, the heavens to open and for Mikey to come back with for his Mikey grapes and his wings and his sexy chest. I don't know. He, he probably had a really chest. sexy chest. That probably explains a lot about me. Oh, oh boy! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll take a bottle from the bottle. Take service. my leash tighter. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. You should buy yourself some angel wings. I mean, not for you, but for just to have. Yeah, I'm mean, assuming that I don't already have them. Oh my god. Tatted on my back. Okay, we're gonna hey, let the we're gonna the let the dog in. The Come here, baby. I love running, definitely jumping, honestly, not a fan of hooping. I bark a lot, it sounds kind of funny. One time, I even lost my voice. I love humans always, but my true love is a dog named Blue. Sorry, Kathy Bree, and I thought we were non-monog. Quora, I'm Quora, I'm Quora, I'm Quora, yes, I'm Quora. Oh, I'm Quora, yeah, I'm Quora. No, 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 we will. I'll, 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 I'll wrap it up here. Okay, so wrap it up. I, I, you know, um, joined the club, let's call it, and I started working um, steps in this club. Hint, hint. And I found that I don't need to know what my spirituality looks like. All I have to do is have discipline and principle. And I've, I've read a lot of things and I've forgotten a lot of things and I've mm-hmm. read, reread them and forgotten them again in the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I relate very much to Taoism because it's decentralized. I really enjoy that. I really like certain aspects of, of Zen, um, uh, Chinese, Japanese. Um, I'm like very, very open. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have any answers. I mm-hmm. just, there's, there's a really great interview with Carl Jung where someone's asking him if uh, God is real and mm-hmm. if they know that God's real. And he's like, I, I don't, I don't know God. I, I don't, I don't have to know God because I, I believe or mm. no. So let me take that back. The question is, do you believe in God? I see. And he says, no, I don't. Cause I just know. Mm. And it's not something it's, that yeah. can be shared. Like I can't, it's, it's how does one come from someplace one has not been, mm. which is, you know, whatever. Mm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to have maybe spirituality is just not knowing yeah not i was gonna say knowing. it sounds a lot like a comprehensive acceptance of your lack of understanding yeah and and like a really joyous acceptance mm-hmm. of like yeah i really just don't have the answers good word yeah. and there's such a beauty in accepting that it makes sense you can then you let go mm-hmm. of so much of wanting to know and wanting to have the answers yeah and and restrictions because it's a lot you would of put on yourself and others around you for s- knowing right like this right. is the thing 
So then everything else has is, to fall in place. Yeah, yeah. And how does that, if it does at all, relate to your art making practice? Oh, it's 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 like everything. Um, I when I got sober at nineteen, it was like the first time I said, "Who who am I? What is it that I actually want to do?" And art was the first thing that came up. It was either social work, but I was I was pretty fucked up at the time. Mm. I was like I had a lot of trauma, but it was it was either social work or art. And I, I went for art, mm-hmm. and which is a form of social work. I agree. Anyways, I'm glad you glad you point that out. Mm. Thank you. That that feels good inside. Yeah. Um, but every I mean there there are parallels that I can draw between um, making specifically practicing work or practicing spiritual principles in my everyday life mm-hmm. um, I really like minimalism mm-hmm. in, in my, my I, when I compose I'm very very minimal and it's very about my perception perception of the listeners it's, mm-hmm. it's psychoacoustic so it's the study of how the brain reacts to things mm-hmm. sonically mm-hmm. and there's a lot of parallels there are so many parallels that I I, I can't I can't see them all. I'm still discovering them mm-hmm. as I keep making stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so how do you see the uh, the early restrictions of American theater trickling into the cultural zeitgeist today in America responding to performance art and to, and to theater going and, and dance as an art and mm-hmm. acting as an art and, and performance art as well, these, these bodily-based art forms? Yeah. Um... I th- well, I think it, there's a fear of the unknown, and I think there's a fear of not understanding. I mean, there's that trope of like, oh, I could have done that, mm-hmm. know, visual art, mm-hmm. in, in, and it's comparison, it's judgment, and, and judgment in in my book is typically a fear of not being good enough, not being adequate. Mm-hmm. That that the the judger, the judge, makes upon the um, the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically today, there's not a lot of money in it, and we've we've made this this distinction like you were talking about before. You know, when you came to Berlin, when I came to Berlin, there was an expectation like, who who ever went to art school, and whose parents were like, how many people have gone to art school? And their parents were like, well, how are you gonna make money doing it? Mm-hmm. There is there is a there's a brick in a wall somewhere mm-hmm. that is the, the foundation of our like cultural house that says you have to be able to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the foundation was not built to support that as a lifestyle. It wasn't, but I think it's because the people who, who, who set this up ages ago. Mm-hmm. You know, these people. These people. Yeah. About the wool industry and mm-hmm. not... Didn't parse together, didn't put together that in order to like survive it's good to, right it's good to have economics mm-hmm. se- financial security to survive but then what do you do yeah with what are you what time? are you living for right how do you fill the void yeah and I think there's a big distinction there. Mm-hmm. and I think it's mm-hmm. because uh, part of it might be because people get trapped in their head mm-hmm. or they want control and there, I think there's so many moving parts it's, yeah. it's very hard for two yeah, people yeah. sitting in Neukölln to kind of parse out no we're not we're not gonna parse it out no maybe uh, here's here's a here's a thought. So Give me a thought. There's not a lot of culture at that time. There's America. American culture is uh, dependent upon. I mean, there's European imports of culture. Sure. Well, and there's Native American culture, of course, but that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic, right? What what year? Can you remind me of the year that they're? 1778. This is 1778. So this is right after the revolution. This yeah. is right after Independence Day. Yeah. And okay, so early baby country, um, little kid, big stick. Wants to make a name. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Let's 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 change let's change it up. Let's yeah. be different. I'm not gonna I'm right. not gonna be like my older brothers. I'm right. Be different. Right. That might be a factor in this. Sure. You know, let's look at where everyone else went wrong, and they just maybe they they picked the wrong way. They they threw the baby out with the bathwater. They threw the baby out with the bathwater. Totally. <laughs> little, little, 
Feel the ship, rock the ship. Feel the new ship, baby, but don't forget about the water. Fill up the tub, oh, the baby's dirty. Put the baby in the water. Make the baby not so dirty anymore. Now it's clean, and the water is dirty. Throw out the water, get rid of the water. No, we can't have no dirty water. not your mom it's still me um but um i am here to say hi again and congratulations because you've almost made it to the end of the podcast small applause small tongue applause um yeah so i had a really fantastic brilliant time speaking with ben um and as always on every episode, I gained a more heightened perspective on the roots of American theater, you know, just just through discussing it with another curious mind. And it was very, very hard to parse out the selected clips you just heard from our conversation. And yeah, I just want to thank Ben one more time. I'm very grateful for him for being a guest on the show. Um, so one more small thing. I want to take this moment to thank every single individual throughout American and world history who has continued to fight the battles to gain the rights to make theater. In the podcast, in the episode, we didn't really touch on the transition from the state of theater in 1778 being illegal to where we are now. And, you know, we, we briefly talked about kind of the implications of that. Um, but there's been a real sincere fight to place theater in an important uh, position. Um, and we're truly indebted to those who've seen the merit within the body and have worked to reduce the hierarchical gaps between the pursuits of the mind and those of the body. There's still a lot of work to do. Um, for those of us who, who care about these things, in order to rouse more recognition and awareness that body-based performance is indeed a fundamental right of expression, which offers a unique perspective of lived experiences essential to the quality of the social fabrics of our lives. Like I mentioned earlier, with the children who receive too little movement, um, having the potential to develop mental health-related complications, I see that societies without the opportunity to experience catharsis through physical performance, having the capacity to be completely devoid of imaginative, compassionate, and empathetic faculties. And I'm afraid of this, this outcome, if we do not continue to fight for and support the performing arts. So this episode is for every individual from 1778 until now, and before, of course, um, who've dedicated their lives to this work. And despite that, and the, I want to say that their work is absolutely not in vain, we still face a huge challenge ahead of us when choreographers and dancers, by a huge margin, are the least paid artists in America, according to the most recent artistic census collected in 2016. Graphic designers and other computerized and technically infused artistic branches earn on average two to three times more than performing artists who have the same level of education. You see, the poetry of the body and the nuances of a composition of flesh cannot be revered if the function of the body is reduced to that of a machine. This American obsession with production is expressed in our disinterest in the bodily arts. And furthermore, the forms of physical theater that are widely accepted only highlight technical strength, youth as beauty, speed, and capitalism's secret weapon, heteronormative expectations. A finger curling 
is the beginning of a symphony. The lung sacs filling the rib cage, the frame of a canvas. The weight of an actor, silent, being watched by many curious eyes. An opening of a novel. We can continue to fight this fight by not only maintaining our patronage of the performing arts, but also to engage in and honor our own physical intelligence every day. So here's my exercise of the episode. Um, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites. It's a lot of fun. It's very simple. It doesn't require a lot of sweating or anything like that. Usually the episode or the, the exercise of the episode is maybe a bit more physically demanding, but this one's more um, imaginative and connecting your physicality to your imagination. So here we go. Um, I invite you to sit in a park uh, where as many people walking by um, within safe social distance regulations uh, as possible. So in a, in a uh, corona time populated park, okay? Um, and find a place to sit where you have a good view of people walking by, um, kind of a view of the, the, the vista. And start by engaging in a brief meditation, two to five minutes only, and, and with your eyes open. So we're going to focus on um, our breath, uh, noticing our breath, and then noticing the smells. And what we want to do here is um, allow our gaze, as we go deeper into our meditation, um, to become open and inviting, um, almost like a, a, a puppy or... A squirrel how when they're sitting and they're at rest they still have this awareness in the the side and all around in their vision to look towards captivating objects so we're just going to with our attention tune up that ability so that we're sitting at rest noticing our breath noticing all of the sensations around us and allowing our eyes to be captivated um, and once you've established that sensation, that state of being, um, I invite you to notice which person that's walking by captivates you the most. If there's someone who, when you see them, um, you feel very comfortable or interested in allowing your gaze to rest on them. And if, if possible, observe them for a bit longer than 10 seconds if you can manage it in a polite and unobtrusive way. Smiling always helps. Um, being far away from them always helps so they don't feel like you're um, actually inside of their physical and emotional space. Um, but anyway, so the goal here is to just gain information about this person visually and then to allow the visual information that you gather they're kind of like a detective to fill in the details of their life so that you have a picture um, in your head of what they do during the day, who they live with, who they talk to, what their beliefs are, if they have any aches or pains in their body, um, what, what kind of vision they have, if they have to move slowly, if they can move quickly, maybe they want to run, anything like this. And, and really um, allow as you observe them for the details to become very important. Um, and then I would say no more than two to five minutes of observation. Stand up and embody all of those details that you just constructed for yourself about this other person. And simply go for a walk. Notice how they step in their shoes, how their shoulders swing, how their eyes move. And this is a tricky one, but what kind of thoughts they have. So if you can really drop into this other physicality and see if it can transform your, your thoughts and potentially give you a new empathy or a new understanding. Um, and again, this is a short exercise. It's only for about five minutes. And then when you're finished, uh, go ahead and free write for another five minutes about the experience. Was it difficult to allow your mind to let go of your own reality? Did you feel silly? Um, and as always, just rem it's important to remember that like in any form of mindfulness training, this is 
this is a form of play. There is no wrong way to do it. Uh, it is just a matter of doing it for its own sake. And oftentimes the effects uh, cannot be felt immediately, but they have a residual effect. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's the that's the exercise for this episode. I hope you enjoy, or if you hate it, or you're feeling lonely like everyone was last week, go ahead and write me uh, an email. Um, yeah. So we're at the end of the show, and um, I'm sorry, Ben, but I cut out your shout out section. Whoops. Um, so I'm gonna add them in here and. Ben wanted to give a shout out to Antho and David. Thanks for all your help, says Ben. Um, and this is kind of a special thing. I don't always do my own personal shout outs, but I would like to add my own personal shout out today to my mom. <laughs> uh, thanks, mom, for making me laugh on FaceTime the other day. That was fun. Uh, okay, now for the listener shout outs. Hi, my name is Margot. And I'd like to give a shout out to the bird who is practicing her libretto outside my window. Keep it up, cutie. Oh, what's up? I'm Bert, and I'm giving a shout out to my buddy Philip. What's up, dude? Hi, I'm Eli. From I'm from Arkansas, and this shout out is to my new baby Boo Boo Red. I just want to say that I'm thinking it all the time and I haven't told you yet, but I love you. I really do. I really, really love you. And I wanted to do it in a special way because you're special to me. So, yeah, (laughs) I guess I'll see you tonight. XOXO. All right, losers. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, over now. <laughs>